a Midsummer's Bearded Carcast, episode 17 of the Bearded Carcast with Dave Friedman. I am Mike Pacheco. Lots to cover here on our early July entrance for podcasts of the year. I'm thinking about leaving the podcast for LIV. You are? I am. Okay. Have you seen the Have rumors you been today? It? Cam Smith, who won the British yeah. Open yesterday, yes. it sounds like is in negotiations wow. to leave the PGA Tour and go to LIV. Yeah. Well, Charles Barkley needs a partner on the broadcast. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. I thought the British Open was fantastic. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I love when there is kind of a... Uh, I don't want to say a hero and a goat, so to speak, but there was a hometown flavor. Mm-hmm. Everyone seemingly on course, and it wasn't any course. It was it was St. Andrews, this, course, this, yeah. this fantastic, legendary, historic course. Everyone's cheering for Rory, yeah. and Rory is spectacular. Terrific. Great. Yes. And couldn't get a putt to go. Yet, front nine looks like he's in great shape. And then on the back nine, he here comes Cam Smith, yeah. and everything he throws towards the yeah. the hole goes in. It was it was spectacular, and like you said, Rory had several putts come up just short, just left, yeah. just right. But I thought Rory played well enough to win. But he didn't lose it. Cam Smith just won it. There's no question about. The, I mean, that. how about the uh, the cojones to go driver on eighteen? And, then and he, needed and he, it. And he puts it on the – well, well, it put pressure on Rory because, you know, obviously it forced Rory to have to get an eagle on 18, and you know, he had a good effort, but he left it a little bit short. I mean, Cam Young eagles. And, then, yeah. and if Cam Smith doesn't birdie, yeah. I mean, it was, it was tremendous. Yeah, you could have seen a three-way playoff. Or a yeah. two-way playoff. Yeah. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. But you take major golf. And I think we both like major golf. I don't watch a ton of golf outside right, of the four right. majors, but you understand the history of these legendary mm-hmm. courses. And then you see less than 24 hours after the guy wins the British Open, the biggest moment of his life, arguably, certainly on a golf course. And, I mean, multiple reports in negotiations. It's a done deal, $100 million, yeah. whatever it is. We have to be to the point now that something like, I don't know, 10 of the top 40 players have flipped. Yeah. And for a guy that just wins the Open Championship, he's now exempt from the majors for five years. So for all of the middle-of-the-road players who have switched, well, they are in danger of not being able to play sure. in major championships. They'll have to go through qualifying. They can't get points right now. The points are what enable you to get in. Cam Smith is good to go for five years unless they change the system entirely. For him, what is the reason not to? So if at any point during the next five years he wins another major, he's exempt for five more years going forward. For him, for Dustin Johnson, totally reasonable that they think that at some point they're going to win another one, they're going to continue to be exempt, they're good to go. For the guys that are older who just want to cash a big old check, Makes a ton of sense. The guys that I'm wondering about, do they make the jump, is the ones that are kind of tertiary players, where if they continue to play the PGA Tour regularly, they get to continue to play the majors because their world golf ranking is high enough. But if they were to leave, they don't have that exemption. Now they risk being able to play in the major championships. And are we we setting up a situation where there's going to be really three 
striations of golf where you'll have the PGA Tour. Maybe that's where guys are going to go to find themselves. You'll have the majors where, you know, you'll obviously have to, um, you know, depending on the different ways of qualifying. Uh, and then is it leave go- live golf where it's just kind of the, the elite players and then you can kind of work your way into that? Just what, what you know, we've seen the PGA Tour slowly trying to, to make some accommodations and, and try to do some things to keep guys. To me, if you're Cam Smith and someone's going to give you $100 million guaranteed, uh, it's hard to pass up that kind of money. If money is your ultimate goal, right? If I liked what Tiger said when talked about uh, the, 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 uh, the live golf about, you know, there's still – it's not the same. It would almost be like if another league came up against baseball and said you only had to play seven innings. You know, the test is nine innings. You know, the, the test is – and golf is, is, you know, 18 holes and 72 holes, not 54 and um, – I guess to me it all boils down on the individual and, and what is important to you. Is it is the is the tradition, history of the game important? Or for a lot of people, I mean, I think it'd be hard for anybody to turn down $100 million. I think the PGA Tour is UConn men's and women's basketball. These battle-tested, historic programs who all of a sudden for a period of time weren't in a major league mm. and therefore they couldn't cash the checks that you get playing in the biggest of the big. And they still won a national championship mm-hmm. even after Jim Calhoun retired. Mm. But it's really, really hard to sustain that when every year you're being out-resourced. I mean, the PGA Tour has made major changes. Honestly, they've mimicked a lot of what Liv has done. They've done a lot of the things that Phil Mickelson said they should have done a year yeah. or two ago. But now they're being outspent by two, three, four, yeah. five And they times. can't compete with that money. They can't compete with that money. You know, money. it's interesting, right? Because it's a different sport and it's it's a different way of getting there. But it's a little bit like what's going on in college 100%. football. 100%. Right? I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten are kind of poaching people and offering big payouts. And it, it could have – it could fundamentally change. I shouldn't say it could. It will fundamentally change college sports i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing it, it it's going to be it's going to put a lot of pressure on the schools uh the I, so much of this stuff is you don't like the transfer portal you don't like nil either get with the times and get yeah. with the program and adapt or be left on the side of the road i mean i don't know if liv is going to be here in a year two years five years i don't know if the pga tour is yeah. going to be here in a year two years right. five years i think all of it is on the table. College sports are very much the same thing. We yeah. don't know what the future is. If I mean, you, 10 years ago, we would never have thought it would be where we are right now. I mean, Or 20 years ago when the ACC— If USC has a great season, they're not going to be in the Rose Bowl. They're yeah. not going to represent yeah. the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 or the Pac-8. Yeah. That's crazy. But if you think about it, when the Pac-12 per team is making whatever, 40 or $50 million— and the Big Ten is making 60 or 70 or $80 million, and you want to win national championships, how can you say, no, that's a bad decision? Well, and, and how much of this is, like, I just, you know, I, this isn't like a unique thought, I don't think, but, I mean, how much did going to the college football playoff speed up what we're seeing now? Well, yeah, right? but it, it seems to me, and you could say the same thing about the because the bowl structure kind of kept leagues in check because you had bowl alliances and with leagues, and you could, you know, you could get right, but the, a the year, Big Ten a year ago or whatever it was, eighteen months ago, there was a proposal on the table that everyone had signed off on that said there are going to be an expanded playoff 
and all of the big conferences are going to be guaranteed a berth. If the Pac-12 or the Big 12 were guaranteed a berth in the playoff, I don't know if teams would still defect because there'd still be more money elsewhere. But the fact that the Pac-12 right now is in peril could fold. You don't know. Could have to merge with another conference. That wouldn't be the case if you had a guaranteed spot at the table. But right now, you're Oregon, and you're thinking, what if I have an incredible season, and it's just, at the end of the year, the Big Ten versus the SEC, and I don't get to get into the playoff? I mean, that's a very, very scary well, thought. It's going to be a lot harder, right? I mean, I mean, USC's path to a, a, a college football championship was hard enough as it is. Oh, Not- I don't know that it's gotten harder, because... If it's the SEC and the Big Ten, if those are the only two conferences that matter, they're now one of those two, and they're going to have four playoff teams, six playoff teams, eight playoff teams among those two conferences. Now, if the system remained exactly as it was previously, where the Pac-12 was either guaranteed a spot and the Pac-12 was easier than the Big Ten, then you're absolutely right. But we don't know if the Pac-12 is going to be relevant going forward. So for for USC to continue to play in a Pac-12 when all of the power and all of the money is in two other conferences, I mean, I think they did, I don't want to say the 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 right thing because there's going to be a ton of travel and but all still, that. But hasn't there still been um, a reluctance to grow beyond the four? I mean, I think it's, everything's on the table. I mean, there yeah. there was a proposal for eight playoff right. teams on that. the table, and the people and there was some there was some movement behind it, and then it just kind of like died. Right, but the people that said no yeah. were the Pac-12, right. the Big Twelve. And the ACC, the Big Ten and the SEC, the two conferences that hold all the cards right now, they were good to go. They they actually, we don't live in this world where people show a little bit of heart these days and kind of like look out for each other anymore. That eight-team proposal really kind of patted the back of everyone and made sure there was one little guy involved and made sure everyone was in. When the quote-unquote alliance said, yeah, we're going to take a step back, yeah, you took a step you took a back, step back right. and, and, yeah. and now you're hung out to dry. Right. And the Pac-12 lost two of their preeminent schools. Right. I mean, we saw Oklahoma and Texas leave for the SEC. That's when the alliance began between the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC. Now, the Pac-12 is in flux. They're down to 10. They've lost two of their most marketable programs. You've got four of the schools at least flirting and talking to the Big 12. You've got Oregon and Washington who surely are looking for an opportunity. Maybe those 10 teams come back together because they think they're stronger together. You've got the Big 12, which has added teams and added pretty attractive teams, but they've lost their two stalwart teams. cash cow programs and the ACC might be in worse shape of all of them because they're bound together in an awful television contract for more than 10 more years. So, So like while the ACC looks stable, no one is coming and going their revenue compared to the SEC compared to the big 10 you can't compete. I really liked, and this would never happen because it was, this is kind of more of a fairness model, but um, and geographic based, but I like. Um, and Pat Forty did this like two years ago, but he, he released it again when the when the two teams left. I liked his 
I think it was like eight conferences, and yeah. it was really all geographically based. You know, it makes a ton of yeah. sense, and I'm not so sure we're not going to get back to that because if the Big Ten were to add more teams, you essentially could have your West Coast wing right, of the Big right. Ten and your Midwest yeah. wing. I mean, I don't think it's crazy that there could be some sort of an alliance between the Pac-10, Pac-12, and the ACC schools, where you have your West Coast schools sure, yeah. and your East yeah. Coast schools. But does the system need to be blown up and changed and be more I regionalized? So. I, I mean, yeah, that, that would be a much more ideal circumstance it's our kind of a, a money version of the bearded car cast today because <laughs> yeah. we, we've got live, live golf, golf versus pga yeah. Yeah. and the british open that just took place a lot of that is about money i mean yeah. a little bit's about golf but a lot of it yeah. is about money the conference realignment is largely about money there's there's a little academics there's mm-hmm. a little geographic but but it's a lot about money and, and then we've got juan soto wow so Juan Soto, obviously superstar for the Washington Nationals, uh, he was offered a couple different deals, but I think the big one was fifty, or the last one was fifteen million for four hundred forty-four million dollars. I have no doubt he made the right decision. You? Um, well, I think what's interesting is you have to separate um, the business from the headlines, right? Because I think on paper, the average Joe uh, who might not think in these terms would look at that and say, how could you turn that down? It's the ACC. When the ACC signed their television contract for 15 years or 20 years, it seemed like a great amount. But each year, it becomes more and more valuable. So I think the early contracts had deferred payment. And deferred payment is one of those vehicles that owners like to use because they can sign a guy uh, and then they can spread the money out. Hopefully they can, you know, with you know, with investments and, and, you know, other ways means they can, it lessens their impact over time. The player still gets his money and agents are like, well, wait, hold on a minute. Like we want that money now. And so I think early on the, the, um, cause, cause I, I, on the face of it, I'm like, how can you turn that down? Reading into it, I was like, well, no, it makes sense because first of all, you're tied in for 15 years. So, the, so towards the end of his, and it's guaranteed money. So at the end of his contract, yeah, he might be making, was it 29 or, 30, or $39 million a year? But the going rate then might be $50 million a year. Right. And he's 23. Yeah. He wants to sign another new deal before he's 30. Right. I mean, he wants a five-year deal, not a 15-year deal. Right, because he deal. wants this to be a, a big payday, but he wants that next contract to be his biggest payday. I mean, right. from a business standpoint, if you're looking at it from the player's perspective, it totally makes sense. I just don't think anyone wants to sign a 15-year deal. I love working at Winthrop. We've been here a long freaking time. If someone 15 years ago had offered us a 15-year yeah. contract, I think we would have said, maybe a five-year contract. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. Let's see what the I market would take it bears. Now. You would take a 15-year contract? <laughs> I would take it now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm not 33 anymore. And maybe at 38... Yeah. Juan Soto yeah. will go, God, I should have signed that 15-year contract. I mean, it is a But everything that baseball tells you is that once you sign your contract, it's obsolete, kind of like the NFL quarterbacks, right? So I agree with you. I, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to turn that kind of money down, um, I think, if you're looking at it, again, from a, a, just an average fan, an average joke. Because, look, we would t- I would take a 15-year deal for $440 million right now. But the, the, Breaking. the economics – of baseball are, are different than what the, the everyday person has. So I think in baseball terms, it does make sense. Now, here's the question. Do you think, um, and I haven't read anything in the last couple hours. I know that the big thing this morning and last night was, uh, you know, obviously now 
the Sharks are circling, right? The Mets, the Yankees, uh, I'm sure the Red Sox will be in on it. Do you think they move him, or do you think they come to green, uh, come to terms on a smaller deal? I think what this may be, this because it probably was released by the team, so that they could say, hey, we did everything we could. We offered this ginormous contract. Well, I think it's a really complicated situation because the Nationals are for sale. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the outgoing owners should be making a decision for the next owner. I, I think they should be, if they can do a long-term contract that is reasonable, whether it's the 15 years yeah. for $400 million or, or, or whatever, great. But but otherwise, I, I just wouldn't do anything. I mean, he's under contract right. for two more yeah, years. They don't have to do the anything. team is probably no going to re- be yeah. sold in the next. Right. I, I, I would think the team's going to be sold by Punt and opening let the next, day. Let the next ownership ne- deal with it. That's what I would do. Yeah. Because if you have Juan Soto, but he's on the books for a huge yeah. amount of money, well, I mean— I guess that would be better than trading him, and now you've just lost a generational yeah. player. Well, I'm not a huge fan of any, any contracts longer than three years, and for pitchers, I think it should be two years, just well, because it's what the market bears. No, I, I totally get that. I'm just saying, in a, in a perfect world, only because, uh, and, I, and again, I understand the player side of it. The player, what wants about to get, Soto to live golf? <laughs> that could work. That could work. Uh, and I, you, I think you and I have talked about this before on the Bearded Carcast. I mean, I'm. I'm I think the same pool of money should be available for players. I think there should be, um, you know, a, a quote unquote lower salary. And you can figure out, you could, there's many ways to figure out how you do that. And it, but put a lot more on incentives and on teams that win the, um, like more on championships and more on, on things like right, that. But, but players don't have to agree to that. So, I mean, no, and the players, I mean, again, this, I'm not saying this as, you know, as a, I, I see the different sides of this equation, right? I, players wouldn't do that. It's, it's like, um, Look, look at the the pitch clock right now. The pitch clock in minor league baseball and AAA, it's 14 seconds for a pitcher to throw a ball. It's 19 seconds with a with a guy on base. It is significantly reduced time of games, anywhere from 25 to 35 minutes on average. Uh, you could go to a game and see a really good ball game in two hours and 10 minutes. Fans love it. People that work in baseball love it. Um, I think for the most part, players are slowly starting to adapt to it, but it's not in their best interest because they want to take as much time, whether you're the pitcher or the hitter, in between pitches because – they're trying to they're trying to use all the different strategic tools in their head, to all the different. They're trying to work out a lot of different permutations to figure out okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna attack this pitch? Pitchers, how am I gonna throw that pitch? I don't think they need as much time as that, but the players would tell you they do. But it's, it's not gonna little, matter because it's coming into no, play. No, no, no. But but that but but that's the point. Yeah, I'm saying. I mean, there's different sides to. Uh, there, there's no question. I mean, that, 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 that's what makes the world. They're yeah. d- they're different ways of going about things. There's different opinions, but some people have power and some people don't. Players have the power over what contract they sign and what contract they don't sign. In Major League Baseball. In Major League Baseball. I don't think they have the power on those rules because my understanding is the pitch clock next year no, no. can just be implemented. Some of it, some, I think there are some things that are... I think there's a clause that the commissioner can trigger to ultimately overrule everything, but most of it is collectively bargained. Well, yes, that's true. And speaking of spending lots of money, yeah. the Panthers, I, I don't want to say they struck out with Teddy Bridgewater because I didn't think Teddy Bridgewater was that bad. And I, I don't think you can say they struck out with Sam Darnold yet because, you know, he, he could be good, although I don't mm-hmm. think most people think he's going to be. But but here comes uh, strike three or, or try number three in Baker Mayfield. I mean, I'm very surprised. I, I thought that 
Bridgewater was a worthwhile try. I would have given him more time. I thought Darnold was probably a worthwhile try. I am very surprised they're going veteran route for a third straight year with a third different quarterback. But they got it in financial terms that were friendly to them. Yep. Right? I mean, they got Baker Mayfield to take $3 million off guaranteed money. That's unheard of. Yep. Uh, And the Browns, I think, took like $10 million of of the contract. So I get it from that perspective. I think, uh, and I was in on the, um, they did a, uh, they didn't bring Baker Mayfield in for the press conference. They did a Zoom call, and Scott Fitterer was on um, on his on his own, and then Baker was after that, and, and I was watching that. And, and Scott Fitterer's point was, look, we wanted as much competition as possible. You know, I think which is a weird a thing to say. Twelve months after you didn't set up any competition for Sam Bradford, when you could have had Teddy Sam Bridgewater, Darnold. Sam Darnold, when you could have had Darnold and Bridgewater, but then you had to get rid of Bridgewater for no particular reason. Well, again, that's a it's a conundrum, right? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to. Skin I, mean, I cap, agree with what he's saying now. Yeah. I think having competition is yeah. a good thing. This is the NFL. Every team is going to use two quarterbacks. Maybe not every well, team. Eventually, twenty-five I mean, teams. But we've seen this here multiple times. I mean, if you don't have a, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have a, a qualified, you know, Pro Bowl guy as your backup, and that's on that's. You not want realistic. someone capable, but you need someone that can win you games. And look how this team has been structured. They spent a lot of time and effort upgrading the offensive line. They drafted the kid out of North Carolina Central or uh, NC State, uh, the big guy for the left tackle. They have put a lot of effort into that offensive line to uh, to try and um, solidify things. And I think the the methodology there, Dave, is and I think the thinking is if they can protect whoever the quarterback is behind there, that gives them a larger percentage level of success. Now, if they don't protect uh, Baker Mayfield, he's going to have the same problems. This is dumbing it down, like really, really dumbing it down. If I told you that Christian McCaffrey was going to play 17 games, 18 games, how many games do they play now? 17 regular season games. Okay, 17 games. I told you McCaffrey's going to play 17 games. And now on the second breath, I say McCaffrey's going to play six games. Now let's call it seven to make it a 10-game difference. How different is their win and loss total? Forget the quarterback. Forget how good the rookies are. Forget how improved the defense is. Just if McCaffrey plays 17, you don't have to say a number of wins. If McCaffrey plays seven, how many fewer or more games does that make? Uh, uh, He's probably worth eight out of ten of those games, don't you think? I just if McCaffrey's I mean, not if, in the if lineup, he's not in the lineup, I expect them changes, to lose. If McCaffrey's but, in the lineup, they have a pretty good chance of winning. Okay, but here's the here's the only silver lining in what you just said. Um, and I and this is gonna sound weird. It, it, to me, it kind of depends on how he gets hurt. If, if it was like a pulled hamstring or something like that, uh, if if he just got like crushed by three guys because he wasn't being protected, that tells me that the, uh, the offensive line wasn't protecting him. I think that is the wild card. It's not, it's not necessarily McCaffrey for me. It's, and I think the, you know, the big question mark this team has always had for the last six, seven, eight years has been offensive line. If, if they can solidify that position, I think that also makes Christian McCaffrey more durable. Sure. And I think if, you're, if they're able to spread the ball around, don't forget, they got a lot of great weapons on offense. Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore. You know, I'd like to see um, you know what they can get from the other running backs too. If if they can be kind of multiple in their offense, if they can be kind of more West Coast like they're trying to be, and they're moving the ball. Um, look, Europe. There's no there's no way to say you can not, you can never say not having Christian McCaffrey on the field is is you know good. Um, I think they could still be successful if he only plays six games, but I wouldn't. I, I would put that at a lower percentage. I think to me the linchpin is going to be 
what does this offensive line do? And can the quarterbacks make plays? And they're going to have to make plays downfield, too. I mean, it works in concert to some degree. If right. Well, an offense is more like an orchestra. I mean, everything's got to kind of work together. Yeah. I, I just think if McCaffrey's not in the lineup, they're, they're quote-unquote going to be in the lottery. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be one of the ten. It's going to be hard. Look, look without Christian, I'm, there's no doubt about it. It's going to be harder for them. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. There's there no any, doubt about it. Hold on. It. Hold on. Is there any no doubt? doubt? There's no doubt. None? No. Get Gwen Stefani in here. It's no doubt. All right. All right. Before we close things out, I think this is an interesting one. This was the late addition to the. I've got uh, something for to you too. No, well, this is your your late addition on the rundown, um, and th- th- this speaks to the difference between Major League Baseball and most other sports, but particularly with the NBA. Kevin Durant, obviously the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Kyrie Irving uh, wanted out. Actually, before that, it was James Harden, and he did get out, and now. Um, Kevin Durant wants to get out. But the problem in the NBA, Dave, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you can want to be traded all you want, but unless there is a trade package that's of equal value, and, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into an NBA trade, and I think there's not as many suitors. I mean, look, would I would say 29 other teams would say, yeah, we want Kevin Durant, but there's got to be a match, um, and it's got to work kind of financially, too, from – uh, it's it's counts. it's fascinating because Durant's level of play is among the greatest yeah. of all time. I mean, he is that special. A player. I mean, if you ask any team, you, you want Kevin Durant on your team, it's going to be yes. Yeah, uh, of course. But unlike what he was doing for a period of time, where he was signing all those one-year contracts yeah. or or three years with an opt-out after one year, he he's got a bunch more time on his deal. So he's locked in whether he likes it or not. Now, that being say, said, he can hold out if he wants to do that. And what we've seen in the NBA over the last several years is more or less players get what they want. Yeah. But if the Nets are going to unload Kevin Durant, they're going to have to get an unbelievable package yeah. Yeah. coming back. So who is willing to completely and utterly sacrifice any sort of a future who even has the assets to do it. It's not going to be a bottom 10 team. It has to be a team that's on the cusp or who is already really good. I I mean, my thought is I feel like the Clippers are really Mm. well positioned to get him. But the problem with the Clippers is, you see, I I just think he would be an amazing number two with Kawhi Leonard. Sure. The, The problem is what makes the Clippers What got the Clippers Kawhi Leonard was they more or less said, we'll bring in your boy, Paul George. I think the Clippers have this really deep roster. Now, they don't have the draft um, capital or capital, right? But you would trade Paul George for Durant, and then you would have to trade a bunch of your extra pieces to get draft capital to trade back. But it's that dynamic of the reason Kawhi went to the Clippers was he could play with Paul George. Right, right. So now is Kawhi going to stab Paul George in the back because it gives him a better chance to win a championship? And, and you know, the answer is probably no. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I'm fascinated, though, about m- maybe the Raptors are a team people so have talked about. So if Winthrop was able to get Jim Nance, but I had to be traded to CBS. <laughs> well, wouldn't Jim Nance take my job? <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> um, there were a couple of other things I wanted to make mention of. Yes. I'm not sure which order okay. to do these Just in. go rapid fire. Okay. I was 
uh, on vacation yeah. for the first time in three years. Right, it in was, Italy. In Italy. It was yeah. very nice to leave. How was the flight? And, Good? Um, they were sort of disastrous, but that's neither here okay. nor there. But did Nicole have to fly the plane? <laughs> she did not. <laughs> okay. Several times, yeah. uh, just in the evening after a day, I would go to like an ESPN.com yeah. just to kind of like see sure. the rundown of what was going on. And I screenshotted them yeah. three separate times. Never a baseball topic. I'm just going to read you. I don't even know what day this is. Um, Tiger LIV players. Oh, this one was from after we got back. Yeah, but same that was story. Thursday, right? Tiger LIV players turn their back on the PGA Tour. Big Ben, new stadium name doesn't seem right. Yeah. Officials, former running back Barbara died of heat stroke. Magic shut Bonchero down after Sterling summer league debut. McElroy, Soros, Malkin, Levine. Three, four different times I did this, and never was there a baseball topic. This is when baseball, I mean, the, the NFL hasn't started yet. Hockey and basketball are finished. It seems to me there's more hype for the NBA Summer League yeah. than there is the regular season of baseball. That's 100% uh, seems to be accurate, yeah. What, what does that, do, does that mean anything or not really? I think it. And again, for the faithful Bearded Carcast listeners, and we appreciate all 20 of you. No, just kidding. We appreciate every single one of you, all, all 60 of you. For, thanks, Carl. Yeah, thanks, Carl Lyles. Um, uh, Kat, Mark Catalano. Um, I, it, it, to me, it, it spells the further regionalization that's happened to baseball. Oh, so because ESPN's a national organization, they're not putting up a big story. But in Boston, there could be a big Red Sox story, or in L.A., there could be a big Dodgers. Well, remember, I think this used to be considered kind of the dead period in sports, and it was owned by baseball. I mean, you would see baseball stories left and right. Um, and, you know, and I've just seen this in the 20-plus years I've been here in Charlotte. I mean, obviously the Braves and Orioles get a lot of attention. The Red Sox get a lot of attention. But, you know— in sports talk radio, you know, we could talk baseball stories, you know, the Giants or, you know, when, when um, you know, Sammy Sosa, you know, and Mark McGuire, you know, that, you know, people I are feel about like that's the last big baseball story. But there's not. Yeah. I mean, there hasn't. Baseball hasn't. Um, baseball doesn't appeal widely enough to the kids anymore. I, I think that's the issue is now there are kids that still play baseball and it's still very popular. But it's, I mean, you could you can drive by a, a baseball field on a Saturday and not see, see anybody on there unless you go to, like, a, a challenge or, or you go to one of these facilities now that has all these, like, challenge or club teams. Um, and for whatever reason, uh, I, I don't know if the blackout rules are part of this. Like, because, you know, a lot of people are now spread out now. And uh, if you can't see your team, you know, you know I, I haven't had too much trouble with watching Red Sox games. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I just think baseball is still big in towns where there's baseball, but I think the, the spots, the regions in between baseball cities um, have, have, have kind of drifted away from baseball. But are in Seattle, where I think the Mariners are having a like pretty good year. They won like 14 in a row, year, yeah. They, I right? think they had the longest win streak going into the All-Star break. Right. So are they now – I mean, are they selling out? Ruby, you don't know. I don't know. But – it would be a story in the NFL if the Seahawks. We could call our friend at the uh, sp the Air and Flight Museum. Oh yeah, do you think he'd like to I hear think, from us? Yeah, he would love to hear from us. Great. Yeah, Ted, Great. call Ted. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> Ted, that's exactly right. So, 
on one of the fights I was on, yeah. I thought I'd uh, you, you you and Brett Redden like to make fun of me for pop culture. I'm yeah. not not yeah, big you're on not really, pop yeah. culture. I thought you would be okay. very very proud. Yep. I, I'm right up on it. Yep. I, I've watched a a new movie. Oh, whoa 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 whoa! That's right. The we big, need a, we the need big a Lebowski. The, I've oh, now watched oh it. That's right. That's right. I'm. Uh, I've caught up to 1999. I am on it. <laughs> I thought you'd uh, appreciate I it. I love it. I, love I enjoyed it. it too. The dude. Good new flick. Yes, the dude. <laughs> Good new flick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really man. enjoyed that. Well, you know, he's in a uh, new FX series. Uh, the old man. Catch Very up good. with me in about Very 2045. Yeah. On yeah, you that can watch one. this on your next long flight. Yeah. And, uh, you can knock it out in one. Uh, one <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. We won't even mention Top Gun Maverick. That'll be uh, that'll be for 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. Did yeah. you at least see the original Top Gun? Um, I've seen pieces of it. I have not oh seen the whole. Oh, well, Dave doesn't have a need for speed apparently. All I've right, got well, a need for Saratoga. You got We're a need four for days Saratoga. into the Saratoga Sar- meet. Yeah. Are you going up? I'm going up for the Whitney. Looking forward going up for to the that. Whitney. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Just named after Jock Whitney or. I don't. I think it's Mary Lou Whitney. Oh, Mary Lou Whitney, yeah. not Mary Lou Retton. No. Okay. Bearded Carcast. He's Dave Friedman. I'm Mike Pacheco. Send us an email at Bearded Carcast. Uh, Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com is how you can get a hold of us. We especially like uh, solicitations from foreign kings <laughs> that want to park their money in the United States. So uh, if you got like thirty or forty million and you want us to hold on to it, we're, we're happy to do that. So for Dave, I'm Mike. Uh, until next time, uh, this is the Bearded Carcast. <laughs>